thank you so much for coming. I have the wonderful Dr. Mazilakazi Kone. Thank you for coming today. And finally, I've been like really looking forward to interviewing you for so many reasons. Um, one, you're an inspiration to me for everything that you've been doing on on, on uh, campus. Uh, we work together. I won't say where, but um, it's just that a lot of students see you. They see uh, a lot of hope and inspiration, and so that's why I wanted to bring you in because I know that uh, you didn't really play things safe in just uh, what society would say. So welcome, welcome. And so I'm just here to ask you a few questions so we can get our viewers, uh, you know, a response and just if it can help assist other people. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Tell me about, uh, you know, what did you study in? What did you get your education in? Sure. Well, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. I am so excited to be here. And everything you said about me uh, could be said about you. It is said about you in terms of all of the work that you do. Uh, I went, so... Uh, for undergrad, I, I did my uh, bachelor's at Indiana University, and what I did and studied there was uh, I, I did a double major in Spanish, and okay. I created my own major. So, which is kind of crazy to think about to me now, all these years later, to you have all of these possible majors, and you're like, no, I want to create something else. But truly, that's been really indicative of who I am to this day, of, of uh, seeing all these different disciplines and wanting to find kind of a connection between them, mm -hmm. you know, and really seeing myself, I, I didn't have the language for it then, but afterwards seeing myself as an interdisciplinary scholar and, and teacher who would, you know, bring in these different fields when studying, um, or when teaching rather, it makes sense to me now that I wanted to build my own major. And I should say what it is, I built a major in human rights with a focus in Latin America. And why did you feel the need and focus for human rights? Well, I really, since I was a kid, just grew up with this sense of concern or care about the world. I remember just as a child, I mean, that was part of the lessons instilled in us was that we um, volunteered at the food banks or would bring, you know, have lunches or socks for folks who were living in the streets. And so it was just a part of how, how I saw the world as a, as a little person, <laughs> as a child. Uh, and then as I went on to college it just was something I felt so invested in like what do we what do we do about the world how do we get a sense of um I don't know I'm not sure if it's what's the right thing to do but how do we do right by other people yeah right? and so that was and the, the 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 Latin America part was you know I was studying Spanish and I had I spent I uh, studied abroad as an undergrad and I had known before I went to college that I wanted to study abroad Okay. I basically was going to college so I could study abroad. I knew I wanted to see the world, and that gave me the opportunity at, uh, while an undergrad to travel to Havana, Cuba for a semester. Wow. And Santiago uh, the Dominican Republic for a semester. So just, I had anticipated it would change my worldview. I had done all of this work really to, to be able to travel and learn and take classes somewhere else. Um, so that was kind of how my focus in Latin America happened because I was already learning the language. I knew that's where I wanted to study. Um, so I went with it. That's awesome. Now, right before we started, you shared something interesting with me that I had no idea. You mentioned that your your parents were DJs. Oh, yeah, that's right. Growing up, my parents were DJs. Uh, wow, we had so much music in our household. It was beautiful. 
And when I was a little kid, I uh, lived in the Central Valley of California, in Fresno, California. And my parents were uh, DJs at Radio Bilingue in Fresno, California. And I remember then, because it was a bilingual Spanish-English station, just this like mix of culture. Uh, you know, I remember going into the station and hearing like mariachi or, or seeing people playing mariachi going into the station where my mom had a show that was blues and jazz and my dad had a show that was uh, reggae music, West African music, uh, music from the African diaspora. So it really even early on was this mashup of like culture and language. Uh, and it's, I, I guess those things that sit in your head as a kid, right? The, the, the experiences that you have. But to me, it was like, hearing the language and being in the space and the way that music really connected us and all these different cultures. So that those are some of my earliest memories are being at Radio Bilingue. That's beautiful. I just, I love hearing that because I love music. Yeah. So that's wonderful to me. So as you were progressing, what brought you to education? I know we talked about the degree you, you started off with, but what, what led you to even, you know, go to college? Sure. That's a great question. I, I think there was really just this expectation that I would go to college. You know, I think just parents instilling in that idea of going to college, you're going to go to college. So I I just believe that was, I mean, of course, it's never belief alone. There's all these yeah. things that you have to, you know, even having parents who instilled that into me that you're going to college, you're going to college, where it just was, in my mind, my expectation. Um, but then to go on to college, wow, really, so even with that expectation, it totally changed my life. I mean, mm -hmm. to be able to go, I moved halfway across the country to go to college. I was really lucky I got a scholarship for college, which changed, it changed everything. I remember yeah. my, <laughs> I remember my mom telling me, lovingly, was like, you know, if you get that scholarship right, you're going to go to that university, you know, and I had, yeah. this, you know, I'd applied to other schools. I remember at first it was kind of like, huh. You know, but then, of course, when I yeah. got that scholarship, guess what? I was going to that university. Um, and really, I have to say, thinking back, well, let me say, what was important about that scholarship is that it would allow me to study abroad. And that really, I, I had come to being interested in Spanish and Latin America as a younger person. I should say I've got, I'm the youngest of uh, many sisters and a brother. And I have a sister, the one who's right above me, but I should say that's still eight years apart yeah. distance, who was learning Spanish. And I, everything she did, I was like, oh, that's what I want. So yeah. she was learning Spanish. I was learning Spanish. I remember making up words I thought were in Spanish as a little <laughs> kid because she was speaking Spanish. I'm like, yes, yeah. I can speak Spanish. What is gatosilla? <laughs> Only to come to learn that quite in fact meant catch air. But, you know, <laughs> in following or attempting to follow her footsteps, I became interested in learning language and culture. Um, yeah, that just changed everything. I'm sorry, I think I pulled it. Oh, no, no, no. I, I, I love it. And, you know, you brought up an important part of scholarships. And, you know, a lot of people just don't realize scholarships is a form of free money. And I've been on a few scholarship uh, committees for various things. And one thing that we notice is that there's never enough people that apply for it. And even me going to college, I didn't know that that was a thing. Anyone listening, there is literally scholarships for everything. I mean, 
just, you know, if you are a woman, if you are a man, if you are a person of color, if you, you know, have a different sure. heritage or you want a specific job or, or you degree, degree to, yes, if you're going to go into, I don't know, nursing or if you're going to be a doctor, be a lawyer. There's just scholar. There's mo- there's so much money out there, and people are not aware of that. And that could be a game changer, That's you right. know. And it and it, it did was, for you. It was absolutely. a game changer for you 100%. as far as being able to go to college and even um, explore the world through that opportunity, exactly. which is awesome. It's it a really wonderful was. thing. It took me to another state. It took me to two other countries. It expanded my mind. It was really awesome, and the scholarship. It changed everything. Yeah, you know, it definitely, it definitely does provide that opportunity. Now, fast forward, I meet you. You get hired, and you are, you know, political science, um, you know, uh, instructor, professor. What, what led you? And I know we, we've expanded since that, but sure. what led you to that area of political science? Okay, political science. How did I get to it? Well. Truth be told, so I, I did a master's degree, uh-huh. and it's on theme. I did a master's degree in Latin American and Caribbean studies, and I was working on a research project. You, you write a thesis. Well, at least in that master's program, you yeah. write a thesis. And I remember that I was having a hard time finishing my thesis. Like, I, was, I found it to be really quite challenging. Um, and one of the ways that I was able to make any progress is that I submitted an abstract for a conference. So that means to like submit a little blurb about what you're writing about and hopefully you get to into a conference. And the conference, I'll never forget it, it was the National Conference of Black Political Scientists. And I got accepted into the conference. Yeah. Which then meant I actually had to finish my thesis. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I actually, yeah. So it was, it was the push, it was the push that I needed to finish my degree. But the conference, so the it's a political science conference, of course. Uh, I wasn't a political scientist at the time. Remember, I, I was doing interdisciplinary work. I had been taking classes in all different kinds of fields, but I hadn't really identified myself as, like, I study this. Yeah. You know, I'm like, I study everything. Human rights from this angle and that angle. But when I went to the conference, I remembered there was a faculty member on there who was talking about my research. She, she uh, I think it was a discussant, so ask questions. And afterwards, she told me, you need to talk to um, with Dr. Mark Sawyer, rest in peace. Uh, you need to talk to Dr. Sawyer because she read my project and she said he would be someone to talk to. And he was in the room. So I went and talked to him afterwards and I remember telling uh, him about what I wanted to study. And he was like, oh yeah, we can study that. That's political science. And it was so matter of fact, uh, him saying that what I was studying was something that we could study in political science. And I realized then, because um, I applied to the program where he taught political uh-huh. si- into political science, and I had applied to other programs in anthropology. I mean, really, I yeah. saw myself being able to go in all these different directions. But what Dr. Sawyer did for me was saying, this is a political topic. He changed my worldview. He, I mean, mm-hmm. his baseline was that everything's political. That's the baseline. And that I could study what I was studying at the time, which was how sex workers organize politically, how they get some sort of political representation that he would say and and not through like organizing he said yes this is political so I really went to the program because I found a mentor who um I don't want to say approved of my topic but like kind of 
brought me in, you mm-hmm. know, pulled me in and said, we can study it through this lens. Okay. And that's how I ended up in political science. I mean, truthfully, it, it I guess I want to say it somehow felt like a fluke, but I guess maybe it wasn't, you know, all these steps to even present my research and meet him. And what, a year or two later, I was moving to, to back to California to start my program. So that's how I ended up in political science. I could have just as easily ended up in an anthropology program. I almost did. Or some other field. So, as a political scientist now, I, 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 I apply to so many jobs. I mean, you apply, you apply, you apply. And that's how I got the opportunity to come out um, where we are now. And study political, well, not just study political science, teach it. But, and, my interdisciplinary foundation has been incredible for my work, for my ability to speak about other disciplines and engage with them. I mean, it's been a personal game changer that I could, that I had taken classes in all these different fields because, what, 15 years later, 20 years later, I'm working to build different programs at our college, yeah. other disciplines, and having had some experience really allows me, I don't know, maybe a sense of confidence on, on how to do it or that how to engage with it because I have been in all these different fields. And you're like, you're even starting like ethnic studies and different courses in that and you know, out where we're at, we have a huge, you know, Hispanic-serving population, and just a lot, you know, just the majority of our students are students of color, and I don't even know if students ever really heard about ethnic studies or even been categorized or titled as that or or any insight to that, because I'm from the area that we go in, and I've never heard of that before. I mean, I have now, but... um, why was that important to, to create uh, a new Department of Ethnic Studies? Okay. Well, a couple of reasons. We are in a moment right now where the state of California, um, well, this comes out of first out of organizing. So on the part of faculty and students across uh, our state uh, have been pushing for students, college students, and high school students even, to take an ethnic studies requirement. Mm-hmm. So to define ethnic studies, it's really the study of... Uh, we think of different groups of color mm-hmm. uh, who have been in this country for a long time and being able to just study their their experience, mm-hmm. histories, uh, and engagements within the U.S. context. I mean, think about uh, what you learned in grade school or in high school. Did you learn anything about uh, the black experience in the U.S. or the Latinx or Chicanx experience in the U.S. or indigenous people in the U.S., right, or Asian Americans, and so on? And if you even learned something, right, how much did you get, mm. right? To what yeah. extent did you get? Oh, okay, here we go. It's January. We get MLK Day again, yeah. which is really, a, I mean, even with the celebration of Martin Luther King Jr., uh, his memory is typically whitewashed to really uh, miss out on a lot of really active uh, movement he was making, right? It wasn't just about... I dream of integration yeah. while it was recognizing the role of U.S. and international politics and U.S. militarism. I mean, it was way more poignant than, yeah. I'm not saying integration is not poignant. It was just a lot more, right? So that's just one example. We're not getting uh, in schools these histories, these mm-hmm. lessons. Mm-hmm. It makes folks feel like um, the story of the United States is a white story and everybody else is kind of like outside of the mainstream, which is false. Yeah. Right. The, since the encounter of colonists coming to this land, there were people here. There were indigenous communities and uh, tribal nations all throughout this country. It was a multi multi linguistic, multi ethnic space from the founding. Yes. 
right? So ethnic studies is trying to, it's not trying to, ethnic studies is teaching us about these histories, these narratives that are central to the American project. They're not like chapter five or chapter, no, it is central to the whole story. So uh, coming to a community that is predominantly uh, Latinx, Chicanx community uh, and, and not having, you know, the space for students to learn about themselves, I find is, um, it can be so disempowering because mm -hmm. most of us never got those histories growing up. That, that's so powerful that you say that because, you know, you don't realize that, hey, you know, uh, people who look like me have done really powerful things that's and right. really amazing things that how come no one's ever told me about this? That's right. Or it, what, it didn't originate here. It actually originated, you know, years prior to that by someone else. So, you know, I'm, I'm glad you bring that up just because it's really important, and I'm glad that California specifically has been able to implement that requirement, and it's brought a lot of conversation. I, I keep telling my students, because, you know, I teach a race and ethnicity course, and, you know, in the world we have, you know, critical race theory being talked about, and, you know, the woke, uh, whatever the theory, yeah, 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 and... And it's like, you know, we're going back decades. If we're not careful, we're not out there, you know, being loud and, and being vocal and voting and, you know, making sure that our votes count and that we are being active in each community, which is really important if you all are listening. Uh, just be, it could be, it could change and it can be taken away from us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's important to make sure we discuss these issues so right. that way we can not repeat history. And that's what we're doing right now is we are literally, I always tell students, we repeat history and we're living in it right now. Right. And so it's just, uh, you know, it's so great that you're doing that. Well, with the example of ethnic studies, just like legislation has led to schools having to respond with ethnic studies courses, mm -hmm. just like that example in California, we can look to another state, like Florida right now. Yeah. We can look to states that are actively banning books, mm -hmm. right? Actively banning what teachers can teach, particularly to the themes that we're talking about. If you're gonna teach about uh, folks of different races and ethnicities, right? I mean, these limitations put on what you can actually teach, the banning of books yeah. in 2022. So we can look to the progress of some states and having expansion of courses and access right alongside the states who are like, you know what, we're gonna go ahead and ban these books, yeah. right? Right, this idea of dangerous ideas and dangerous thinking. Um, it's it's frightening. Yeah, it, it terrifies me, you know. And my children are young, and they're going to school now. And it's like, what kind of education are they going to get? Sure. So it's powerful that we, you know, do more education on top at, at home to have these discussions. That you hey, have to. this is more than just what you're learning. That's or right. did you learn this at school? No, you didn't. Okay, let's talk about it now. Right. But many people don't know the history. That's right. But I had that experience yeah. growing up. I remember the education from school, and then my parents had to do a whole nother parallel education to really be like, oh, well, oh, did you know a black person admitted that? Did you know this? I mean, to yeah. really be like having my parents be my teachers and explaining and teaching me about not only my culture as a black woman and a woman of African descent uh, in this country and context, but to think about all of the interventions, the the, the inventions, the, 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 I mean, we have been throughout this culture the whole time. Mm -hmm. Right. If you had a yeah. stoplight, let's talk about it. You eating some peanut butter, let's talk about it. Who made these things? Right. The golf tee, let's talk about it. Right. We're talking about black inventors in the U.S. So these the ways not only to um, educate folks, but to think about the presence of folks of color, people of color, black people, Latinx people, etc. 
through the everyday, you know, in our everyday life within this U.S. context. We are not some side chapter. Yeah. We're a central part of the story. No, and that's, I think that's important because having that growing up probably instilled some type of confidence that, hey, we, I, I can rock it too. And we don't, you know, most people don't get that. Sure. They don't. They don't feel that that confidence or that ability, or even think that people that look like them are successful. Well, sure. I mean, the confidence is important, and also, I mean, it just makes me think you hear saying that, like, what it means to know these things. But also, what does it mean to be successful? I mean, mm-hmm. thinking about um, the role of education, say, in the black community or black women being as like the most educated group. This is, means like the number of degrees and certificates. So it's beautiful, and it's also kind of sad, but you have to kind of do so much mm-hmm. to be able to have, like, a foot in the door, mm-hmm. right, and be, like, you got to be, like, uber-qualified. Yeah. Right? So trying to find that balance. Like, you had to come in as Dr. Kone. Well, come in and then have all this experience and teaching everywhere and, you know, I, <laughs> people who aren't necessarily getting the jobs, it's not for lack of being uh, prepared. No, definitely. Right? So a lot of preparations going on, but we also recognize we kind of have to do that to get in the door is be very, very prepared. Yes. It's unfortunate, but it's true. It's true. Now, um, for just before we go, I want to ask a couple things. So what was your, um, I would say, your, your hardest obstacle with trying to hit your goals? Of, I know you have many more, yeah. but, you know, what was, so far what has been, like, one of your biggest obstacles and how did you get through it? Well, when you say that, what comes to mind immediately is um, completing my PhD, my mm-hmm. doctorate, uh, thinking about how hard and challenging and um, I would, <laughs> I support anybody doing the degree, but, and recognizing why it was so hard. And that's not a unique to me experience. It's hard for a lot of people. Yeah. And you throw in being um, maybe one of the few people of color or, or women or a few women of color, where you throw all these other things on top of it that make you feel, um, I don't know if it's just making you feel like that you might actively be the not included, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just, I feel this way. It might be, you've been there for five years and some faculty comes up to you and says, oh, who are you? Yeah. When you're like, I've been here for five years. Mm-hmm. Right, that kind of making making you invisible. Yeah. Um, completing my PhD was, uh, was quite challenging. Um, I'm, I'm so proud of myself, but I'll be honest, when I finished, it took me I, a couple years where I would talk about completing this thing that was huge, I spent a lot of time and energy, and truth be told, I would I would cry. <laughs> I would tear up just talking about it, yeah. um, because it was, it was hard, and then you're done, and then you've got this whole other challenge of figuring out the career stuff, the professional part, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which was challenging, I have to tell you. Um, being on this other side of it, though, has really affected how I think about supporting. Well, I don't know. I, after I've gone through it, I, I've left feeling I just want to support anybody who's going through it mm-hmm. and anybody who's um, applying for jobs. Yeah. Uh, for example, I had a, 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 I'm in a mentorship group. I've got a mentor. I've got a co-mentee. And my uh, co-mentee, I found out last week that she had a job interview for mm-hmm. an academic job. I'm so, I'm so excited for her because it was her third time interviewing for this job. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, she is very qualified. Yeah. She's got multiple degrees, mm-hmm. right, from name from institutions you've heard of. Yeah. Okay. And she hadn't gotten a full-time position. So I heard 
I got I got an interview. When's your interview? Oh, it's on Monday. Who are you practicing with? Mm-hmm. And she looked back to me like crickets. Like, what are you practicing with? I was like, oh no. We need to practice. We need to practice. We we spent uh, maybe four hours. Mm. We going over questions, going over her teaching demo, and I, I say that to say um, I didn't invent that. I didn't wasn't the first person to come up with helping someone because when I came here, I had folks say, "Who are you practicing with?" Mm-hmm. Right, and folks who looked out for me, I really have instilled in me this idea that we reach as we climb. Right, someone else reached back to me. I literally that idea of someone reached back to me to help me up. Right, and it is my duty. Right, not just in my my own lifetime, but in the lifetime of our ancestors, right? To reach back and lift someone else. Like that is that is the calling. That's right. A, I've never heard that before. Yeah. Surprisingly, yeah. reach, you gotta reach, reach back. back while you climb. That's right. I mean, you can even imagine the image of someone yeah. you know, someone bring, pulling you up, and then you looking back to see who who's behind you, because mm-hmm. someone's always behind you. Yeah. Right. So what can we do to lift as we climb? That. That's 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 so speechless to me to hear that uh, I'm speechless in the fact that that's so true and powerful, and I'm glad you brought that example because you know you're going you, you have this idea you want to get there but you, kind of like secretly people are not necessarily like cheering you on to in your you know your own um, group or you're studying or you're you know you're at your your classmates are not necessarily saying like, I want her to like be successful. They're not trying to say it like, I can't wait for her to fail. It's just like, I just don't want her to look better than me, you know? And so therefore they're not giving you that extra help or that study guide where it's almost like, well, if you don't pass, I mean, I guess you don't. And so I think it's just powerful to make sure that people are helping out others, you know, don't, if you see them with the same hurdle, Mm -hmm. show them how to, get over to go around it, like show them the trick of it and and save somebody else that trouble. Right, because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And you may not even know. I didn't, I I went to so many interviews. I mean, it wasn't that someone always helped me. It it was at a certain point someone said, who are you practicing with? Yeah. So I didn't know until then that like before an interview that you should probably practice. You may not know the questions, but you got a a, a general sense of the kinds of things they're going to ask. I didn't know until someone did it for me and then it made, it just clicked. Like this is, don't get me wrong, it's a lot. It's a lot more labor. Yeah. But or and, that's what we have to do to get more people in the door. Exactly. You gotta prep folks. It's not you. It's, you know, bless the person who can just walk in and get the job. I mean, amazing. Yeah. But a lot of us and the rest of us need to. You gotta practice for it. Yeah. You you weren't just uh, born with this uh, no. style. You it took work. It took work. I mean, it took it took practice. Yes. Are you speaking slow enough? Are they understanding you? Are you hitting the points you want to hit, right, to show how amazing you are? Mm-hmm. I mean, the baseline when I talked to this colleague I mentioned, my co-mentee, was like, you are way more than qualified. Let's get this out. Let's get this part done. Yes. You are beyond qualified to be in this position. You've got all of the training and experience because we also have to big up each other. And by yeah. that, I mean we got to lift each other's confidence. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you've achieved three degrees, but it doesn't mean that you're, like, confident all the time. Yeah. Right? And me either. Mm-hmm. Why do I have friends and colleagues who step in because it's, like, sometimes you're feeling, like, at this high where you're, like, oh, things are going together. But most people don't stay at that point all of their yeah. life or their career. So sometimes when you're low, who, who steps in for you? Your friends or your colleagues who remind you, you know what? You're amazing. 
you're prepared. Yeah. You've got this and you can do this. And you know what? I'm going to sit there with you while you practice. Right. We're going to show that community that you've got this. And that is, to me now, it's given me so much pleasure to be able to be a support because I really can see myself as like, I'm a member in the community and I'm doing what I can in this community to build up the community. Whether it be my students, my friends, my colleagues, my family, you know? It's this whole thing of like, what do they say? No man is an island. And I know the culture in this country is really that, like, I am an island. I can do it by myself. But I know that from my um, position, uh, my experience is that, like, I certainly didn't get here alone. I certainly didn't even get the scholarship for college alone, like, where we started this conversation. That did not happen because I was by myself doing it. I had support. People read the applications, read my scholarship applications, right? You're aligning the support, and then you recognize, I got it. And what more and what better can I do than to support somebody else, right? Or someone has a student they want me to talk to already. Yeah, because they did it for me. And what advice do you leave people listening to your incredible story? My advice would be um, we are in community with one another, right? Like, let's stop seeing ourselves as just, like, me and me, right? Don't get me wrong. I understand we all have our bills to pay and separate things to do. I get that. That's the system that we live in. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to continue to, because this is not like it doesn't happen, but continue to and push towards seeing ourselves as members of a community. Mm-hmm. And people in a community support one another, right? We support one another. Yeah. And as I tell my students, and it's, I didn't coin this, right? Think globally, act locally, right? Because mm-hmm. our community, and sometimes we've got a community that's far away. Oh, we can start doing the work, and the work might be organizing, Right, and concerned to put up a climate might be organizing, uh, supporting our friends and family, and sometimes people we don't even know. Yeah, you know, sometimes you can just sometimes with one line to somebody, you can lift them up. Yeah, right. So we practice saying that, <laughs> you know, that's amazing because you know, being part of the community is important that sense of community to feel uh, wanted that you belong and that there's a purpose. So that's that's super impactful. That's great. I told, yes. Being a part of the community makes you feel like you've got purpose. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love that you came here, and oh my gosh, I'm so inspired right now. If you have anyone listening, if you have any questions, please feel free to send an email to plane at save 0 at gmail.com. Why? Because I can pass this on and answer those questions yeah. uh, to Mazilakazi, Dr. Mazilakazi Kone. And also, um, thanks to this beautiful little place as we're at, this is a level 111. It's a it's just awesome. If you guys want, ever want to record a podcast or do anything here, they have this stuff here. It's so beautiful. So um, thanks to Level 111 for letting us be here today. And please like, share, and subscribe and pass the story on to people. It's just important to hear and see other people that, uh, you know, representation matters, that it's possible. Yes, you may not um, necessarily be like, okay, I'm going to go in this degree or this route, but our journeys are very similar regardless of which way you're going. It's a struggle to get there. It, it, takes, it takes time. You, you, we all have those same doubts and fears, and it's just trying to get to the end game and goal and build that community. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me.